I saw the whole deaf and dumb school healed on mats. And I turned around and I saw their teachers crying because they'd lost their job now. Joy is actually a skill. Contentment is actually a skill. These things come out of maturity. I would say to my younger self, there is a life available for more joy and more meaning and more adventure and more satisfaction, but it's a life that you cannot get independently. Hey guys, this is Jad Emrod <laughs> <laughs> and Robert Krulwich, uh, and this is not Radiolab. Uh, Blaine here in the Ansons podcast. With Luke, who is back. They pay me on consignment. In fact, we don't. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, but he brought me a latte, so. <laughs> yeah, Luke did this one for an almond milk cappuccino. It's um, really good. This is an exciting month for Ansons Magazine, because if you follow our emails, then you know that we have rolled out the print, that Ansons Magazine is no longer sort of Anson's magazine? <laughs> Just kidding. It's like an internet thing. So some of you have expressed some concern that the online thing is going away. And we're just going to tell you, you're welcome. You're welcome for what it's going to do for your brain. You're welcome for what it's going to do for conversation starting, having Anson's magazine actually on your table. Subscriptions are now open. And if you go to Anson's Magazine and click on the print, it'll take you to a subscription page somewhere in the next couple weeks. If you go to Anson's Magazine, it'll just take you right to the magazine page. We're still going to do a journal. It's going to have our conventional online articles every once in a while. This podcast is not going anywhere. But we have made this print thing. And I think that the best way that I could possibly describe it would be uh, to quote Tangled, the cinematic masterpiece and just let the guys say it for me (laughs) I don't know how cruel and vicious I seem (laughs) but this is born from a dream right? yes what else would you add on the print? I mean you're listed on there as uh, co-founder which is true do you have one? a dream? no do you have a print? I do have a print. I've got the first one, and it is gorgeous. And the tactile experience of holding it in your hands is amazing. Is it is it flimsy or heavy? It's heavy and sturdy, <laughs> just like the articles themselves. Is it black and white or color? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you should. This should just be in a description. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's in color, in case you didn't know, just to make sure that was clear. And uh, how does it feel to hold oh, in some adjectives? Oh. Uh, has gravity to it. The um, the paperweight is an excellent sensation on your fingers. Very low probability of paper cuts given the thickness of this paper. It would be like getting a paper cut from a butter knife. Safety first. Guys, the print is out there. And you ought to go check it out. $30 for a year. Which means that this first year, we send you volume one right away. And then next year, you'll get volumes two and three. So you subscribe... We're talking $10 an issue, and you get Ansons in your world. And even if the lights go off, if it's morning and the sun's out, you could still read Ansons. (laughs) All right. To today's topic. Luke, 
you've sort of been doing, uh, you've been in deep cover. Incognito. Yeah. You know how sometimes like the CIA will send somebody to be a part of a motorcycle gang for a long time? Yes. Well, Luke has been sent uh, by God (laughs) into the world of the unemployed to gather data. For you. It's all for you. For how many months have you been um, in undercover in this operation? Well, I haven't been employed for enough time that I remember how to count. So, since May. How many months is that? Ooh. Ooh. Uh, Do you count May or not count May? Uh, Definitely don't count May. Six months. Six months. Six months. So, an even half a year. Um, But I'm not employed. Gosh, you've just been sitting on your butt. (laughs) 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 I will kill you. (laughs) Um, uh, I've been doing a myriad of different projects um, to kind of fill some time. But the primary focus that I've been doing for these past five months, six months, is experiencing the wonderful, soul-crushing world of the job hunt and digital job applications. And And if you just, do you have sort of an estimate off the top of your head how many jobs you've applied to? Around probably close to 400 by now. I I did the math a while ago, and it's around like three eighty five. And that's what I thought. I mean, we're talking, we're talking online. We're talking local. We're talking non local. We're talking, you know, residential, non residential. Yeah, every shade and color. Right. And this is not my first season of job hunting either. I think uh, the first podcast I ever did with you guys was on the post grad body slam um, of leaving college and entering the professional world, and that kind of it's more of a like a context conversation. But, but you got out of that one by becoming a, a sushi chef with a bunch of <laughs> uh, chain-smoking, uh, drug-dealing kitchen professionals. Yeah, no, that was definitely uh, rife with material for my later fiction. But yeah, so going from weird stuff, so doing sushi in a sports bar to unpaid intern in a coffee shop to a coffee roaster to a paid coffee professional to working in a restaurant again to teaching middle school to research assistant so kind of all over the place i mean you spent a year inside the local charter school system yes seeing how well that works uh and in some cases very well seeing how difficult i guess is my point that that world is to operate in yes but now i would like you to give us the map to the world of work. This one kind of ties in, you know, we, we did one on education and then we deviated and talked, you know, about the voice of God, but we're kind of returning to some of the foundational in your 20s experiences. Right. That yeah. usually include the novel phenomenon of uh, job and or career transition. Right, which as like, the millennial generation in which I'm a part is supposed to change careers more than six times. And that's not like jobs. That's like career paths. That's like we all changed our major at least once in college. And so that's just, just going to happen. So this Where do you is, think you are in your sushi chef career? Oh, man. Uh, I think that's on hiatus. <laughs> if I ever go back. But I think one of these days it's going to be an awesome party trick. I can host like a sushi night. So it's going to come back. Plus, it produced a couple of really good poems about breaking down salmon. 
So worth it. Plus that one time you had to get all the bones out of that salmon that I was there for. That was great. Yeah, that was awesome. I felt very capable in that moment. I mean, the job map is just that in reality, we're all going to do this. You know, I think some of the age of you get a degree and then you get a position in a company and then you work up in that company for your whole life isn't really desirable anymore, um, especially for kind of the world of creatives, which I'm a part, so I don't want to speak for everyone, but just noticing that, you know, the main character in that 70s show, that dad is not really like the model anymore for like what we do. So first, we're all going to do it. And second, it's all online now. It's and, and it's all digital. Tell us about this digital space you've been navigating. Yeah. So, I mean, like, in Spokane, I did go around to, like, coffee shops and I, like, handed physical resumes and, like, shook people's hands and, like, and that produced <clears throat> nothing at all, you know. So there are a myriad of services right now of where you have job boards and job application sites. Uh, the biggest one is Indeed.com. Yep. I've got Indeed.com. Spend some time on there. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to throw out my first piece of data. Um, so in doing some research, I stumbled upon uh, Silk Road, which is a Chicago-based talent management software company, and they publish sources of hire. So it's a company that's collecting data for companies to help them hire good people. But nice. it's really interesting to look at their data as someone who's trying to get hired by those companies. But basically, just to say that Indeed produces almost 50% of all interviews. So Indeed.com, not like the internet. I make fun of Indeed.com. Yeah, Indeed.com rather than like CareerBuilder or Glassdoor or Craigslist, all those other online job sites, Indeed.com. I don't know that Craigslist counts as a job site. No, it doesn't. But yeah, so, but I've got a job through Craigslist yeah, no, before. No, I did. That's yeah. why I got the sushi job. <laughs> that was my first mistake. Don't use Craigslist. <laughs> Maybe we should start there. <laughs> use Indeed.com because produced, like compared to other job search engines, it produces 72% of all interviews and 65% of all hires compared to computers, like computer stuff. So that's the first piece of data is that the context is you're on Indeed.com, you're scrolling through, you're clicking on job descriptions, and then you're hitting apply. Right. So super tactical, helpful if you're in this world. Uh, but then you've run into uh, some of the darkness, not in like a really dark way, but in, yeah. in a way that exists of uh, what is important to know if you're a young dude, job looking, yeah, about what happens when you're doing the work of going ahead and saying, I'm applying, I'm using the relevant sites that seem to produce interviews, but you've also discovered something that happens to your application. And it's important to know. Yeah, totally. I think work is so tied into identity. Um, what we do on a daily basis, you know, getting your sense of purpose, what's getting you out of bed in the morning, so oriented around work. Um, and so there's a, like the job hunt is directly tied into that feeling of worth, at least for me. Um, and I think like through the process have kind of figured out different ways to define it for myself Beginning with this idea of benevolent detachment, which Padre has talked about before on a variety of mediums. Um, basically, the idea of 
you know, I would look for jobs. I'd find a couple to apply for, write my cover letter, alter my resume for it, get all the data in, fill out the online application if they wanted one of those as well, send it off, and then try to practice benevolent detachment where I go, okay, this job no longer matters. I'm not going to give my heart to this job. If I don't hear anything, that's fine. If I do hear something great, I'm just going to let it go. It's dead to me. In an attempt to try to protect my heart of I'm applying to all these jobs, I just need to like almost forget about them. Or else you're trying to hold them, waiting to hear back, and for 99.9% of the time you don't hear back or you hear no. So trying to practice that and failing miserably because I'm descending into this like world of like worthlessness and idleness and I'm not idle working my butt off but that feeling of the work that I'm doing doesn't matter because it's not producing any results so feelings of futility incompetence yeah it's interesting because I just want to name it's easy to hear the number several hundred jobs and go you must be doing something completely wrong. But even six years ago was my last significant tangle with this world. And the data that I discovered was that a 40 to 1 ratio is not inside the United States on a national average unusual when it comes to applications to interviews. Where it's right. like, And so you can kind of, you can expect measuring your success rate against averages that, right. you know, by the time you've had 400 applications, that might actually mean like 40 first interviews mm -hmm. uh, with different companies. Right. And in reality, I was doing something's wrong, you know, and like I learned a lot. Through, I've learned a lot through this process. Like I did shoot myself in the foot. With By the way, it'd be 10, not 40, just to correct my math. <laughs> I'm like, 40 to 1 is the same as 400 <laughs> to 40. That would be uh, 40 to 4. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, so it's a, like a, it's a deep, deeply logistical world, but I'm relating to it fundamentally on an emotional and spiritual level. Yeah. If that makes sense. Absolutely, where, you know... I know that you've done reading and research into how effective is it's going to be and some concepts that I feel are important in this conversation yeah. are the related things ennui and acedia, which are actually in sort of academic circles, mm. words that are used to describe the feeling of the millennial generation mm. on a fairly regular basis, ennui and acedia. And we'll probably have whole podcasts on what these words and on unpacking we, them. Yeah, but just a quick definition. <laughs> but a quick definition. Uh, ennui comes out of French annoyance, but really it's like boredom and mm. depression. Mm. Uh, and it relates to this feeling that it doesn't really matter, where Ugh, there's yeah. not a reward for your effort. Yes. And, you know, you're not a farmer or a hunter gatherer where you're actually going to die. <laughs> right. So, right. There's, there's this lack of uh, like existential connection to what you're doing. And there's this feeling of futility. Right. Um, that ennui is very connected to like things like depression. It's really connected to it, but distinct from. Mm -hmm. But that that pervasive feeling of 
yeah, I'm trying. It's hard. Right? It doesn't like, seem to be working. And I like you fi- I fight that at the beginning, but you get to job 50, 100, 150. Mm-hmm. And there's like very tangible evidence that nothing I do matters. Right. And with, what it gets to, you know, uh, ennui, though it's boredom and disinterest and depression, is connected conceptually and etymologically to the Latin odio, though in a unique form, hatred. Hmm. And you go, yeah, there is a kind of jaundice that builds about the quality of your life when what you're doing is trying to find a place to apply mm-hmm. your labor. Yeah. Yeah, right. I remember a phrase going through my head of just like, I just want to work for someone. Why won't anyone let me work for them? You know? Man, so much to unpack there. Yeah. But simply, uh, the reality of, as Dr. Randy James said, we're sort of workers all the way down. There's mm-hmm. wonderful theological descriptions of our creative capacity expressing itself into the universe. It's built for work, problem solving, having solved the problem already and getting to enjoy the solution and then on mm-hmm. to the next thing. And not having that, and even being designed to be members of households, kingdom white classes, like, mm-hmm. because one of the things that comes up for a lot of guys is, why don't you do this on your own? I think most of the guys that I know and me have tried to sort of build our own structure at various points, mm-hmm. be self-employed, work, you know, do the freelancer hustle. And... The problem is what you don't have is the household order, the structure, meaning people in authority over you, people under your authority, a division of labor unto a goal. These things are key to flourishing Mm -hmm. and not having them and trying to do it for yourself, I do think, is sort of a partial good. Mm -hmm. And especially at this stage in my life, I'm really aware of just the need for apprenticeship the desire to be learning and growing under people that have gone before, before I pursue something independent of anyone else. But that really does feel like the option. Like if clearly no one is going to accept like my work, I'm just going to go do it myself. Yeah. Punks. (laughs) This is Sam who's not here, but his classic piece of advice if you get him one-on-one in a conversation, he'll say, find the smallest amount you can live on. Find the smallest uh, community of people who like who could support you if you were rendering a service to them and start your own tiny thing. Because <laughs> like, yep, there is a lot of wisdom in that. And when the rubber meets the road... There also is this desire for apprenticeship, orientation, mm-hmm. treading a path that at least one other person has has trod, has tread. Yes, <laughs> uh, before you venture out on your own, right? Because I think there's just just kind of have to face the necessity of gaining some skills, <laughs> you know, that you don't quite get in academia. Absolutely, some just small applicables. I feel like. The value of watching 
older guys work. Yeah. It's huge. And this works both ways. Watching older guys who you don't want to work like them. Yeah. <laughs> and so you can see and go. And, and this can take a number of forms. But you just look and there's there's real help and negative example. Mm-hmm. But then there's also the positive example of, you know, watching someone attack a problem, watching somebody divide labor, watching someone establish goals. Like, it's true that you can't really learn apart from doing Mm-hmm. But just doing in any direction without the sl- the slight guardrails of experience, it's just maddening. Yeah, it is. It's the infinite options thing. Yes. So you this know. gets to yeah. the other one, the yeah. ennui and acedia. Yeah. Super important to mention acedia because acedia is connected with the sin of sloth. It's the predecessor of that. And that's really what, in the seven deadly sins, sloth which we're like, oh man, like lazy. It's it's actually this much more robust concept, acedia. And it's uh, Greek negligence, lack of care. But what it really is, is it's that moment where you on purpose just don't care anymore. And it can actually come on from just like the multitude of options when you go... <laughs> If you have, you know, if you're running a company and everyone's your customer, then no one's your customer. And if everything's your option, then nothing's your option. Right. And acedia is that moment where you just go, you know what? It's requiring too much to keep some form of hope or interest alive in me, stake <laughs> in what I'm doing. So I'm just going to go ahead and smother that and go into this thing. And it's sort of observed yeah. over and over that there are real negative consequences to there's the positive thing, benevolent detachment. There's the negative thing, which is detachment. Right. <laughs> right. And like that and that is the experience of being on these job sites is that you're scrolling through forty pages at a time of this this infinite level of possibility, trying to figure out how you can actually apply or where you could apply your specific skills or experience or desire and like Oh my gosh, it's a river, it's a rock and a river. You're just slowly getting worn down and worn down until like survivalism kicks in. Your like desire to survive of, all right, I'm just going to stop caring. Right. There's sort of the soul's survival mechanism includes a level of pain aversion. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, maybe that's not survive. That you, not, it's just pain aversion. <laughs> But that you really have to steward because yeah. when when you begin to feel that my job life in my 20s is useless, this isn't going anywhere, that's when some steps are needed to mm-hmm. implement some things to prevent the kind of, fine, check out, just not going to gauge this. And that's when, you know, the light kind of starts to go out of your eyes. Yeah, yeah. In that realm, what have you found that's helpful? Well, I think just like, just to give my answer a little bit more context, I think like my heart kind of goes one step further into that pit of despair, which is that link between worth and what I'm doing or every job that I'm applying to is not, it's not only an infinite amount of possibilities. It's also every job I apply to has the verdict on my worth 
when I don't hear back from them, it's this little chip of like, man, I'm asking the question, am I, is my work worth something? Like, is my education worth something? Is my experience worth something? And every time it's like, no, nope, nope, no, just a little bit at a time. And so coming into this experience of feeling overwhelmed, going to pain aversion, trying to practice benevolent detachment, but really it's just detachment for me. And then my actual experience is just my level of like worth just getting chipped at and chipped at and chipped at. Um, So I think what was helpful for me was trying to get as specific as I could and having basically a filter of my own to kind of sift through what I actually want to apply to. Cause you know, you threw out that data of like 40 to one. Yeah. About that. Right. And it's like, well, it could be one to one if I just applied to the right 40, you know, like, and so it's figuring out, okay, what should I actually be applying to? Like and trying to sync that up. And so trying to get some data that would be helpful and also just like being specific. And so having on my desk on my computer where I'm applying to jobs, just like a couple criteria. And for me it was, is this going to be soul killing? You know, that's like the first criteria. And so that's knocking out like working in a call center, you know, or working um, certain jobs where like my aptitude doesn't fit the context. Um, So needing to preserve like just my emotional health first. And then the next for me, just being like, okay, skills, what do I actually want to be doing? And so orienting it around content, content creation, project management. Um, but creative project management. And so having those specific filters where if you plug those into the search engine, it doesn't help you at all um, because those aren't job titles and they're not going to be in job descriptions really um, because job descriptions are the most ambiguous and unhelpful things in the job hunting process. But they are helpful of just like when you're scrolling through to try to make the infinite very specific. Absolutely. I'm digging this tactical stuff, and it's actually really helpful to have some to come out of the 30,000-foot cloud region of Acedia and Ennui. So what else in just the tactical, applicable sphere have you found in your deep cover assignment? Yeah. Um, do you want, like, the, the data, or do you want, like, what I do to preserve my soul? <laughs> um, let's... Gosh, I don't know. I think I, <laughs> it feels like soul's the right answer. I want to talk about the preservation of the soul, but first I just want to go hit me with a few. It feels like there are probably some piece of advice you would give a 23, 24, 25 year old, maybe even someone quite a bit older Yeah, and go. Use this site, not this. Right. You were talking before we started of there's sort of a step of having an algorithm check your resume that if you're not doing is simply an oversight on your part. Right. What are some of those things? Okay. Yeah. These are, I get to geek out a little bit. So when we were saying beforehand of that, like you just need to be applying to a lot of jobs to hear back from anyone, but trying to realizing that there are some things that I was doing that was shooting myself in the foot that I didn't realize until a month and a half in. And there's that moment of like, did I just waste a month of effort? And I think the answer was yes, I did. Um, So to help you dodge that, um, just some super basic things um, you can do. 
Um, so Indeed.com is the way to go, just statistically. But some other sites are really helpful. Um, Glassdoor.com started in the Silicon Valley as a way to make companies more transparent. Employees actually go on there and write reviews about working for them. People who go through employment processes describe what that was actually like. Um, and so it's trying to create some transparency, but that's kind of it's kind of turned into its own job board. So it's helpful because I applied to one job. It seemed like a cool opportunity. I went and had an interview, had a little bit of a weird vibe, went on glass doors and found out it was a pyramid scheme. <laughs> oh. And that they were like straight up creating this false reality to trick you into working for them. And it was like so scary. And so that was really helpful. But the other service that it provides, which is even more helpful, is that it has a free resume evaluation. And it's free because it's trying to get you to buy the service where they kind of create a resume for you and cost lots of money, um, which I'm sure would be amazingly helpful. But for those of us that don't have that resource, um, what it does is it just gives this little brief evaluation of the visual impact, your wording, and puts your resume through a recruiting applicant tracking system, also known as ATS. So not only is the application world all online, so is the hiring world. Um, so I don't know the specific data, but three-fourths. The of, overwhelming yeah, trend overwhelming is trend. algorithms read your resume first right? and sort it. So companies are getting hundreds of resumes. They all go through an ATS system first. I just said system twice because I included the ATS part, which reads your resume and then produces this kind of like, all right, here's their skills and here's a blurb about them. And so HR is not reading your resume. They're reading the blurb that the ATS. Right. It's easier to read one sentence. Right. Do you have an example? Right. Yeah. And so that's not even, and like, even if they read it, because sometimes you just get knocked out in the first place. So I put my resume, they put my resume through this and this is what they said of my resume. Luke James Eldridge is experienced, appears to be concentrated in common end user software slash core office with exposure to nursing, CPR, EMT, and first aid. Luke James Eldridge has five years of work experience with five years of management experience, including a high level position. None of that is true. None of that is accurate maybe or represents me. Yeah, maybe yeah, the management. wasn't super high level. Maybe like the five years part, because like I've been working for five years, I guess. But the idea of uh, common end user software and nursing, like what? And so what I realized was on my resume, I had like references and I had my job titles and I had like what I did in those, but I had no keywords. All my keywords were at the very bottom of my resume, which was like additional skills. And that was like, I can use Microsoft Office. I'm CPR certified. And that little bottom piece is what the ATS actually picked up and put on the desk of the HR person. Yeah, my buddy Bergen went to, he, you know, he's doing all the things, going to networking events, trying to make connections inside the company that he can ping when he applies. But when we talked last, he was sort of joking about, yeah, I did that. And then I found that my uh, resume didn't make it through the computer. So <laughs> it got picked up. And it simply goes, if an algorithm is going to read your resume, uh, it makes sense to like algorithmically check it first. Yeah, right. I had a buddy 
rhetoric guy, procedural and algorithmic rhetoric guy, who his ability to get interviews was insane. I hate him. But it sort of just turned, it was at the bottom. He didn't get any more jobs than a normal person. Right. But his ability to get through that first step by understanding uh, the way that it worked. Right. And by crafting his sort of application materials and his pings to people in the company and his LinkedIn right. reach outs, all like all to fit the process. Right. You can fit the process right. and you can stop getting just filtered. That's kind of a basic skill. And this is how you do it. How do you do it, Luke? Remove your references because if you get an interview, they'll ask for them then. So it doesn't need to be on your resume. And just include a skill section. Like up there, right after experience. So like second most important thing, skill section, where you can just fill with 15 words that would be Google search terms. Right. Exactly. that You want to orient towards what you're applying towards because they're looking at that. Like, so, you know, CPR was not helpful for me because that's, I'm not applying to nursing. I have no experience in nursing, but that's for some reason what got picked up. So, and for some reason, you put it on your resume, which is awesome. You're like, other skills. CPR certified. It's yeah. It's weird that I you don't know. Yeah. It matters. <laughs> I don't, you have some other skills that you could have put on there. I'm like, yeah, exactly. Why, why was that? Yeah. But, you know, like uh, seafood, seafood butchery, <laughs> <laughs> old Volkswagen. Basic maintenance. <laughs> yeah, so I took all those off <laughs> and put other ones on, like uh, content writing, project management, communication. Those key words that like are actually going to get picked up for the positions that I'm applying for. SEO copywriting. I don't even know what that is. What is that? Man, I put that on. <laughs> Hold on, I'm <laughs> writing. It, I'm writing this down. <laughs> Throw the phrase Google Analytics in there. <laughs> Google <laughs> Analytics. Yeah, so that's the biggest thing. The Keyword second, search. The second biggest thing is just like visual impact. Um, I built my resume on like Word. And like it, w- it could work for like an academic CV where they hate art. Yeah. But like people are people and eyes are eyes and they're going to be drawn to more aesthetically pleasing things. So before you get tricked into using a service you have to pay for little shout out to canva.com <laughs> that is totally free and has templates and it's super easy to use and then you can just all of a sudden you have a beautiful resume so just throwing that out there it's great great tactical tip all right we return from our tactical section <laughs> to soul care yeah yeah i think like you haven't asked this question yet, but this is something that I think a lot about and have thought a lot about. It's just the perceptions that I go into the job hunting like experience with. Um, and it's the expectation that I have internalized through going through public education, which is if you work hard and you get the certifications you need, you'll get the job. That's the expectation and the assumption, which is like based on kind of a just world, but not really. It's based on a view of the world that's a meritocracy. A uh, meritocracy that specifically corresponds to the modern industrial education system's right. structure. Right. So we're an industrial education system in a post-industrial society. Sounds like you listened to the education episode. Or maybe you haven't yet. No. Oh, this comes up. Yeah, great. <laughs> um, so it's still true. <laughs> <laughs> Outside source. But what's the reality? Oh, man. The reality is 
one third of all hires come through employee referrals. That's who you know. Which is, by the way, like across industries, which is crazy. Yeah. When you go that like, yep, you've taken a lot of jobs just to keep the lights on. Right. And we've all been in those seasons where it goes, you know what? We just need a little income. Not too good to work at. Yeah. Restaurants and schools and menial jobs and big companies. But even those. Right. Even a third of people who are working the restaurant job to pay the bills, like, got in because they knew someone. That right. is where it gets really crazy. And you can you can see how that might actually, how that's probably skews as you go up into more and more sort of uh, close-knit industries where it really becomes, when I think of the people who have gotten hired, my people in this, who have been in this world in the past couple of years, I'm like, yeah, there's the higher and higher levels, the more and more it's just you knew someone. Right. I know, which is brutal. But also, like, I like we've, I've heard that before. And I think the effect of hearing that is, like, makes you just want to give up. It's like, okay, if it's who you know, then, like, what's the point? Uh, but I think the other encouraging part of that data is, like, it's one-third, which is a ton, but it's not everything. It's not 100%. It's not 100%. So if you don't know someone, that's not, like, the end of the game. That just means, like, it's an uphill battle. And to put that into some context of, like, this is not just because my resume was bad. It's because this is an uphill, it's an uphill battle. But to turn the corner to your original question of some soul care um, in this context and this season, I think realizing, being able to name what I was looking for in work, which was worth, which was just like an avenue for my masculine energy and power. Um, name Being able to name those things and realize, okay, that's not where those energies are going right now. So I need to direct them towards something else um, just to get those off the table a little bit. So having some projects to be working on, you know, like, yes, I'm doing my due diligence. I'm doing the job hunt, but that's not going to take all day. So using the rest of my time to meet some of those needs that aren't getting met in the job world. So having some projects, um, setting some goals for like for me as a writer, having some writing goals, having some writing projects. That's not going to make me any money, um, but it's doing a lot just to feel like I've accomplished something at the end of my day, which is a core desire of my heart to feel like, okay, yes, like I've, I've seized this day a little bit, you know, job hunting doesn't do it. Um, and so finding some projects I can work on. The other one, that kind of like weird thing, I guess I said of that kind of like masculine energy of like, of doing, you know, I need to do something like project that's good, but I need to like actively do something. Um, and so during the summer that was training for a triathlon, like that was 100% soul care mm-hmm. that had nothing to do with getting fit. That had nothing to do with like, I'm going to be an amazing athlete now. Um, I actually gained weight over that process. Um, it was a hundred percent soul care of like an hour every day. I'm going to be engaging my body. I'm going to be exercising my will on something, which is like a bicycle or running, you know, 
And so having that, and then, you know, that guy, I lost that because uh, knee injury, and then I broke JD's bike. <laughs> he doesn't know that yet. I'm getting it fixed. Um, and so all of a sudden I lose that, and then I get, like, thrown back into the pit of despair because I've lost that avenue. And so I need to try to find some new ones, some other, like, life-giving practices that I would normally find if I was doing a job that I loved. But since I'm not, I need to find somewhere else. What life-giving practices are you doing right now? I'm still trying to find some. (laughs) (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, I'm not figuring it out. (laughs) Like, I know this is the principle. (laughs) I know I need it, but it's hard. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I can, as an observer of your life, go, there are key relationships that you've identified in this season, that there are certain windows of time in which you're available to them. Mm Mm-hmm. And that, you know, has looked like, yes, you'll come over and help me with construction. Yes, you'll be with your, like, church crew in a particular way. Yes, you know, that's mm-hmm. one. Yeah. Uh, yep. Your poetry writing is one. Yep. Your grad schooling is one. Oh, here's Maybe a huge one. You here's, don't know how I feel about grad school. Here's the huge one for me right now, which is sounds super lame. <laughs> um well, yeah, applying for grad school, that's huge because that's working towards a large, large long-term project. It's an illusion. It's okay. an illusion, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, oh damn. Um, oh, I'm, I got to go. Um, so the huge one for me right now, so my wife is working full-time. I'm working part-time and then doing this job hunt thing. And so I've taken over all household responsibilities, which like sounds super lame and boring, but it's been huge for me to like gain a level of mastery in areas I've never gained before. So like grocery shopping, turning the, my grocery shop run into like a strategy, you know? Oh yeah. And like having my meal planning on Monday be like a, an area of creativity of like exploring new recipes, but then also like a puzzle of like, okay, does this work with this, you know? And so that's a huge avenue or like just learning about stewardship of how do I take care of my knives? How do I take care of my space? I think that's been huge. Yeah, it's so key to name that Tolstoy, grandson of a prince, achieved massive literary success in his life as a writer, did not defeat ennui, still felt life was meaningless, and went into a deep depression until observing the lives of the Russian peasants and the meaning that he found to be deeply intellectually satisfying and verifiable that grew up inside these lives, like kind of these small good lives, actually convinced him of the meaning of human existence. Yeah. And to go, yes, managing a household. Morgan here at Asimtar has this disruptive thing that he tells kind of guys who are charging their 30s, who we would look at and go, wow, that guy's nailing it. Mm-hmm. And he says a lot of things to these people. But one of them is he goes, you know, in your kingdom, there's, in the act of becoming a generalist, there's the basic need to take full responsibility of every piece of your life for a time. And yeah, mm. division of labor is awesome. If you happen to be married, it's really helpful to divide up different pieces of the management of the household. Mm-hmm. But there's the piece of fully doing them for a while mm-hmm. that's actually key to the life of the man. Yeah. And you doing that is this 
vital thing. I love that you say it sounds small because I felt the same way in seasons where I've been, mm-hmm. you know, more in that world going like, it sounds small, but right now I'm just like learning to structure the life of this little girl mm-hmm. who a lot of the time the basic structures are up to my wife. Yeah. And it's like, no, 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 no. That is key to be doing the the oikos work, the household yeah. work. Yeah, totally. It's been huge. Another piece that, um, again, sounds even more dumb <laughs> um, is we've talked about technology a lot and our like exposure to technology and our use of technology. And I honestly find those conversations to be like black belt level of like mastery. You've mastered technology, you know, like Blaine has a color filter on his phone. That's like black for that's black belt level. It's not color filter. It's just in black and white. Yeah, <laughs> it's just in black and white because it does things to your brain. And like that, it's just like I tried that and I couldn't keep it up. <laughs> Um, and so like, I wanted some like white belt level technology ways to like manage my experience with technology. And that was just like not eliminating it, but changing what I do. And so this sounds super lame, but I have like a little star Wars strategy game on my phone. And I do that instead of like looking at memes and scrolling Facebook and scrolling Instagram um, like I'm still using technology and I'm sure that's still bad, but it's not as bad for my soul because it's still like, it's strategy and it's story and it's, and it's play, um, instead of just inane time killing. And that has honestly like, so improved my emotional health. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's so helpful and kind and true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's like a, even the Luddite sedan sons, not all the freaking time, but do like, like we play Star Wars video games and Sam and I have even in various like very intense seasons used our lunch breaks <laughs> to be like, if we drive fast, we can get like one <laughs> sort of battle in. Actually, the only one we play is the first Battlefront uh, and survival mode. So fun. Yeah. It happens to take almost exactly like 30 minutes. Yeah. Anyway. So I strangely feel guilty about it, but like just looking, judging it by its fruit. I mean, the fruit is, I feel like so much more healthy in my relationship to my phone. (laughs) (laughs) Huge. That's fantastic. Yeah. A lot of really helpful pieces in there. The tactical ones I love because they're sort of with like the expertise. There's an expert way uh, to to navigate your dips into job searching, which we know are going to be intermittent. They're, it's a it's a thing that happens more than once. Right. And what is the relationship between sort of daily work, the soul, and the thing that is a calling that overrides a person's life are yeah. huge. Right. No matter what your life looks like in each of the arenas of work, right. the soul, and your relationship to the thing that is your calling. Right. Because I, I I place my hope on a job. Like, I place my hope on this is going to be what fulfills me. Um, and the reality is that, like, for a long time, I think the things that fulfill me and what I do for work are probably going to be different. 